Okay, welcome to Four Questions. I'm Alice Evans and I'm here with Matt Andrews at Harvard. And we're going to discuss his latest book, Building State Capacity, co-authored with uh, Michael Wilcock and Lam Princhett. So, my first question. Let's suppose I'm a donor trying to improve the health sector in Sierra Leone. And I'm going to do four very sensible things. I'm going to, one, advise the government which policies to adopt. Two, build their capacity through training and expert technical assistance. Three, run some pilot programs I'm going to carefully manage to ensure they go well. And four, I'm going to amp up the funding. What do you think of that approach? I think it sounds like things that people do all the time. Uh, and it sounds like the kind of approach that we often see doesn't work very well. And uh, it doesn't mean that it's not full of good ideas or good intention or good money. I remember when I was in grad school, uh, one of the books that I liked the most was called uh, Why Money and Good Intentions Are Not Enough. And the key message in it was when you're working in places and you're trying to deal with complex problems, you don't really know what to do. You need to have a different strategy and that strategy needs to... Uh, for instance, offer you ways to learn about what you should be doing to mobilize people. Uh, if you're doing something in Sierra Leone in the health sector, the chances are you're there because what they have currently doesn't work. So therefore, you can't really pretend that you know what works because you've never seen anything work in Sierra Leone before, and so you have to actually find it. Now, your ideas that you want to put in through which policies you're going to advise the government, they may be good ideas, but you have to be really, really, really aggressively self-confident to think that an idea that you have in your head is automatically going to work in Sierra Leone. Mm. So you need to rather develop a mechanism that can help you learn what works, what doesn't work, and why, and to give yourself the ability to adapt to those lessons in the context. The second thing that I don't see in the example that you provide is mention of kind of, you know, who's going to be doing this? And I think this is one of the problems we see in development as well is, is the emphasis or the onus is on the outside donor or the outside consultant to be the one coming up with the idea, coming up with the design, and then even being the one kind of, you know, arranging how it's going to get implemented. Mm -hmm. And um, if there's anything that we've learned as, as almost a truism in the last while is even if it's a great idea, uh, if it comes from the outside and you don't kind of co-produce it, co-adapt it, it's not going to have the legitimacy for people internally. So I think that that is not a great idea because because it has a high likelihood of failure. Mm. And that's the kind of thing that I tell my students. It's not that, you know, it, it, they shouldn't be coming up with ideas. It's not that they shouldn't be providing money. It's that they should be doing it in ways that allow for greater success. And that involves providing learning, providing adaptation, and working with the people who are there. Okay, so what you're talking about is ownership, but everyone since the Paris Agreement, doesn't everyone recognize ownership already? Are we already doing ownership? Yeah, I don't really like the word ownership, actually. I don't know what ownership means. Uh, you know, it's like a, a, a owner house that is financed by the bank, so I don't really, you know, <laughs> it's kind of an odd thing. And I don't, you know, I, I honestly, I think that, that oftentimes... It, it, it went, I mean, I worked at the World Bank and I'd say my example of me owning a house financed by the bank is I worked with many ministers of finance who owned the reforms that were financed by me mm -hmm. or financed by, by my organization. And I don't know whether they owned the implication of the reform. 
I don't know if they owned the empowerment of their people. I don't know if that was part of it. I think that it was, it was, it was a different kind of narrative. I think we're not talking about then ownership. We're talking about something else. We're talking about empowerment. Mm. We're talking about empowerment of people so that they can be owners in the future. Mm. In many of these countries, you say, well, you know, the local people can be the owners, and it's like, I, you know. There's a power dynamic between the people who are coming in and the people who are there that make ownership a very strange concept. So it is about participation. It is about ownership. It is about these things, but I think we need some new words. I think it also speaks to something that you've also written about in uh, previous papers, talking about isomorphic mimicry. So, for example, if a donor says, we want a particular kind of reform, and then the recipient or the partner government thinks, right, let's do that, let's get the reform, because that's what the donors want, you might have the veneer of reform, but actually in terms of the functionality, that doesn't happen because you don't have the local commitment. Absolutely. So how do you get the local commitment to building the functionality of improved state capacity? Yeah. And you're saying that has to be through people working the solutions yeah, and, out for themselves. And, and, well, and I, think, I think the thing that we'd also say is in many of these countries, it, you know, even the idea to say you're going to go into Sierra Leone and you're going to do a solution mm. in three or four years. Well, you've never been to Sierra Leone, mm. right? And I'm not saying it's going to take more than three or four years. I'm saying that whatever you manage to do in three or four years, hopefully is improved upon in the three or four years afterwards. So the key is not your... Uh, incremental intervention now the key is do you build the capability that right. they can make it better afterwards mm. because you know I, I that's what we want here the, the, and that's where we start to talk about you know what do we mean by capable governments and in these places it isn't a government that can pull off one thing it's a government where the people build the ability to identify their problems respond to their problems solve their problems realize what other problems are still out there solve those problems and and now that's the thing that what is so interesting to me we have in many developed countries mm. but we don't seem to think that that's what we should be taking to those countries too you know the key thing if you're you know living in the u.s it, it, there's just been some hurricanes right mm. and uh, what's happening is that you're going to have the government respond to the aftermath mm. of that um as aggressively as possible mm. they're going to learn lessons from that and in two years' time, they're going to be able to respond to it again. Mm. Now, what we do in developing countries is we call people from the outside to respond to the hurricane. There's never any learning to respond to the hurricane. Two years from now, there'll be another hurricane, mm. and we'll be calling people from the outside again. So my sense is that you don't want the veneer of reform. Mm. You want the underlying capability that comes with reform, which sometimes means that the reform you have doesn't look that great mm. because it, it, it reflects the capability that mm. is really mm. there. But we think that that's better. Mm. So how do you build these capabilities? How, how, how can rich countries, mm. ha as donors for example, build people's capacities to work mm. out and understand and Im improve their capacity to react to hurricanes or Ebola, etc.? So it's really, really difficult. Uh, and, and I think that uh, it... it, it that's kind of the holy grail mm. in many senses mm. and I think it, it, that's what we, myself, Michael and, and Lan Pritchard are kind of trying to work out. Mm. And um, we have a research program that's dedicated to this, a lot of it is action research, etc. We have a thing called PDIA, mm -hmm. which is our process through which we are currently 
um, investigating how mm. to do this. And essentially the idea is that you build capability by doing things and finding out what works. And then by taking the lessons from that and institutionalizing them. Now it's the opposite to how a lot of people work where they think you need the right institutions for success and we think no you need success to find the right institutions. So how do we find those? Well we work with governments to help identify their problems, to help break their problems down, to find entry points to solve the problems that they can actually work with at a time and to kind of build up the solution while they build their capability so that when they have actually implemented they have implemented it so they have the capability to do it and so it's kind of like um, it's kind of like building an airplane while you're flying right and in a sense that's kind of where developing countries are mm. is is they are now in a globalized world uh, they have to compete mm. with wealthier countries mm. that are like functional airplanes mm. that fly around at you know all mm. sorts of speeds so you have to learn by doing and that's what PDIA tries to do. Can you give me an example of, of one of these PDIA style initiatives? Yeah so you know one of the things that we've been working on uh, in um, a couple of countries is we, we, we've worked in a lot of sectors we work in health we work in education we've worked in justice we've worked all over but at the moment we're working with a couple of countries in the area of private sector development um, which is an important area in many countries how do you as a government help to develop the private sector we go into a country and they say what are you guys doing and they say well we're trying to do better on the doing business indicators right and these are the these are the the the, the best practices mm -hmm. that the, the donors have said and what we would do is we'd say to them that sounds great you guys keep working on that but how about we get a team together and we ask a different question so we don't say what are the practices that donors have told you to do? Mm. We say, what are the problems that you have? And so we put a team together. And the team says, well, our main industry is X. You know, let's say the garment industry, mm. which you're interested in. Um, and they say the garment industry is really in trouble at the moment. Maybe exports are down, whatever, whatever. And then we'd say to them, let's get into that problem a little bit. And we don't spend six months or two years or do any, mm. you know, heavy uh, research because we're trying to get people to explore their own tacit understanding of the world. Sure. And we'll say to them, go and speak to 100 garment manufacturers and find out what's bothering them. Mm. And then come back. And in one country they did this and they came back with a list of 42 common problems across mm. 100 firms. And these problems related to the difficulties of buying fabric, the difficulties of importing, the difficulties of paying taxes. Just all the com common yeah. things. But nothing in the doing business indicators, right? They were all very specific mm. things. They weren't saying taxes are too high they were saying when we pay them we'd like to not have to pay them again mm. you say well what does that mean and they say well the tax collectors just come back every month so well that's a very peculiar problem to that place mm. right so there were all sorts of interesting things and then what we would do with the team is we'd say to them okay which ones do you think are more accessible to you to solve and um, and let's start moving into those areas and so they maybe take four or five and they say we don't really know how to solve it but we'd say okay let's think of some things to try our focus is never where do you want to be in three years time our focus is always what are you going to do next week and then they go away and in a week's time we uh, have them submit a report that says what did you do what did you learn what are you struggling with and what's next and it allows for a check-in with a coach mm. where the coach listens to them 
And in many cases, this is the only time that civil servants have ever been listened to by anybody. Mm. And it's a little bit of a therapy session. It's a little bit of a session to give them some guidance. It's never a session to tell them what to do. Mm. And then at the end of it, you say, okay, go away for the next week. Mm. And these are iterations. And every iteration allows for learning. It's a, every iteration allows for a certain amount of progress. And what we see is that small steps lead to big things over time. So that literally is how we work. In the example that I, I, the example of the place with 42 issues, they basically picked them off bit by bit. Through it, they learned the, cap the capability to engage with other entities across mm. government because most of the things that the firms told them about were not like under their purview. Mm. So they had to work out, okay, who's responsible? How do we get those people mm. to respond mm. to us? Mm. How do we get them to do this weekly thing with mm. us? So at the end of it, they dealt with all 42 things. Business literally started to say, wow, government's responsive. Mm. And business started to invest in itself on the basis of that. Right. And the sector literally grew very, very significantly. Exports grew. More importantly, at the end of seven months after they did this, they said, which other sector is struggling? Right. And they took exactly the same method and they just applied it to the next sector. That's capability. Right, yeah, absolutely. That's what we want to do. And that's totally uh, different, I suppose. That kind of action research is very different yeah. from the sort of diffid drivers of change where you get an academic like myself yeah. coming in, sort of maybe c working with a, a local researcher say, okay, what are the sort of political drivers and how can we harness those incentives? Right. How can we work with the grain? It's instead of that big study possibly informing practices, saying, right, let's do action research, let's do it quickly, let's engage people, and let's enable people to see that change is possible. Let's enable people to see that they can change stuff and that businesses can see that government is responsive and capable, right. etc. Right. Now, I think the two are related, though, and mm. I think you believe this as well, is I think that on the one hand, some of that, uh, that bigger political stuff describes the spaces in which you can do some of this. Right. And wherever we work, you can go back and you can have a look at things that have created that space, and you could use... Uh, you could reflect on this other literature to to see to say how would people in that literature have have reflected on that mm. and they might have said that there was a change in regime they might have said you know there was a shock to the system mm -hmm. and it created and in most cases we see those things um, in some cases where we work you don't have that readiness right and we work anyway and part of it is to say when they have the readiness it would be really great if they had these people who'd been mobilized mm. um, and it maybe is looking at facilitating change from a different pressure point, you know. So, so one of the one of the arguments I would have in that literature is that you know sometimes change comes from strange places. Sometimes mm. it's the mobilisation of small voices, mm. and this could mobilise those small voices. You know, you're empowering people to think differently. I think we're also investing in potentially the idea that you know maybe there's going to be a president or a prime minister who comes from the bowels of the of the customs agency one day, and they came from this kind of work, and they mm. think. Differently. Differently. Mm. Um, but I think the literatures are related to mm. each other. Um, I also think that there's a, a, an, an interesting thought, you know, thinking about like the political economy analysis work. I often say to people, what we do is political economy engagement. Right. right. Because I think that you analyze something at one point in time. And politics is such a fluid, bizarre yeah. creature that it moves. So in our work, it's not as if we're not engaging with politics, right? Because you go to the teams, and the teams say, okay, the first week what we're going to do is we're going to engage the customs agency to deal with this customs problem, right? They come back after a week and they say, well, the customs agencies tell us that, that their bosses won't let them work with us. Now you're in the politics of mm. this, right? Now you're sitting with the team and you're saying, well, how do we do this? 
But it's not us doing an analysis from the outside, it's us working with people for whom the capability to manage upwards and to manage politics is actually a key capability. Mm -hmm. And we're basically saying, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? Why don't you try the others? And again, part of it is to embed their capability to manage the political pressure rather than to be the academic who is observing what that political stuff mm -hmm. is. Now, the literature on kind of political economy analysis is invaluable for us to potentially understand what kinds of things are there. Mm. But it's kind of the engagement with the people that help to make that a more of an engagement and a dynamic uh, problem-solving uh, process. Because, frankly, doing an analysis of politics in the places where I work is never, ever a positive exercise. <laughs> so, you know, making something positive mm. about it is going to involve people on the inside doing things they've never done before with more courage etc and the process essentially allows them to take some of those steps in small manageable ways manage their mm. risk and their exposure mm. but find that there are ways around complex politics mm. and that's how we work okay but here's a question so maybe you can get some buy-in from governments wanting to do this and explore this about issues that concern them yeah there might be some issues that don't concern them yeah. how do we deal with that is it either we say a okay well it's good to grow state capacity yeah. and that could have knock-on effects in the future or what can we do about the issues that they might not prioritize yeah so i'm i i spend a lot of my time thinking about this um you know anybody who's read my books would know that i do like the work of john kinden in this response in this and the, the idea of policy windows and I do think that we can create policy windows by constructing problems out of things that uh, are not yet seen as problems so you know where things are going wrong and you can see that things are going wrong but for some reason either because it's not in the interests of people or because they just can't see it because sometimes it's not like bad people mm. saying gee I don't want to do that it's just people don't see it mm. I think that... What do you mean by don't see it? Well, you know, sometimes people are so embedded in their situations that they just, and in their countries and their context, that they, 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 they don't see what's going wrong mm. or they can't provide a narrative for what's going wrong that empowers them to change. Right. Or they're blinkered to or alternatives. That, what, whatever it is. Mm. So then I think, you know, here's where it becomes really interesting to say, can you help them to see it? Right. And that's where, you know, the idea of constructing problems, um, I think, is very powerful. And there are ways to do that, you know. Help people learn the stories from their own context. Help them understand the data that they see but they can't, they can't interpret properly. Maybe help them understand uh, the cause of a crisis in a different way. Okay. I think that these are the kinds of things that, 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 that I think are important. So, you know, you don't even have to go to developing countries to think about this you could think about the 2008 crisis here right mm -hmm. in the US and you could say well you had this crisis everyone recognized there was a crisis but you really needed a lot of help for people to construct a narrative about what caused the crisis and I think there's a lot of people who would observe that that didn't really work very well so you ended up getting a bunch of weird and ineffective legislation in the areas where maybe you needed it and then a bunch of maybe more rigid legislation in areas that it's proved to be less useful mm. and there I would say if you John Kinden you would have said how do we help construct that narrative how do we help shift that along so 
it's a difficult thing to do because you know you and I were talking about this earlier it gets into this interesting ethical space about um, influencing agendas from the outside and we would rather do this kind of work through the teams that we're working with where they are the ones who construct the problem than we are the ones that are doing it for them. In your previous PDIA uh, projects that you've supported have there been any that sort of tackle inequalities where there have been bureaucrats who come to you know, engage with something that doesn't seem to work with their interests in some way? That's a really good question. And I, I think uh, the answer has to be yes, but it's not really a question that I've pondered that mm. much. I, I, I would say in most of the places we haven't dealt with kind of inequality as a major theme, at the same time, any theme in almost any developing country is going to have yeah. inequality as a yeah. theme, right? So we've worked on maternal mortality issues in African countries, for instance, and there's always kind of issues to do with inequality. And always part of the story is um, the unequal access to resources and the political movement of resources in some ways and not, and not others. And, and, and in those cases, when those elements of the problem emerge, we deal with them. Mm -hmm. Right, because you know, or, or or we say to the teams, "What are you going to do about mm -hmm. those things?" Right. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the teams say we can't do anything. Right. It's not the right space. Sometimes you find that they say, "Let's just try something." Sometimes they say, "Can we just try something that's like in the shadows a little bit?" So, I think we we do engage with those things, um, and 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 they're tricky. They're difficult. Mm. Um, are they harder? Sometimes I don't know if they're harder than some of the other things. So what we would do with some of those ones where it's maybe against their interests or more frightening than the mm, other parts, mm, right? Mm. So as a civil servant, you look at some, you know, we have them develop problem trees and they identify all the causes of the problem. And you can literally see them looking at some of the problem tree almost with fear in their eyes, right? Because they're like, we can't do that. Mm. So what we say to them is you don't have to start there. Right, yeah. Just start in other places. Mm. And what kind of tends to happen sometimes is that those more fearful places become less fearful right. over time. Or sometimes the problem actually resolves itself when you start tackling the other pressure points. So, you know, I, I, think, I think there is a way that you can help people deal with areas where maybe they don't have a defined interest in getting into or where maybe it's more scary. Okay, wonderful. Okay, but there's another potential block. Aid is under attack globally, yeah. and in order to justify their foreign aid budgets, donors are increasingly talking about results and achieving specific results which they plan in advance. Yeah. That pre-planned, log-framed approach, is it difficult to get buy-in from donors? Yeah, I think it is. And that's, I, I think, you know, how I would also kind of, what I would also say is that pre-planned approach is a, is the right approach with some projects, right? Mm. There's some things that we, that, that, that we in the world know how to do and that they have to be done the same way, right? So, you know, my sense is I want to have a log frame and I want to have a lot of pre-planning on any initiative where we are going out to immunize kids against polio. <laughs> yeah. Because there's only one way to yeah, do it, yeah. right? And it has to follow that and it yeah. has to be rigid. Yeah. So the first thing I'd say is there's a space for those things. Mm. I would say, you know, I told, I told my students here, there's a pathway uh, uh, for those management mechanisms. Mm. Um, the pathway where you need to adopt something like PDI, I think, is just a lot wider. Mm. Because that's where you're dealing with things that are very context specific, mm -hmm. where there's a lot of unknowns, etc., etc., and you just need to do it. 
but there you run into this need to constantly have the log frame to constantly identify the milestone to constantly say this is the result in the end um, I think it is a big limitation I think it's really difficult and I think it's sad because what it also does is it takes all of the imagination out of the system mm. it also it also means that your project will not be one that builds capability because the capability is something that emerges and it's something that that, that surprises mm. as soon as you create a log frame you immediately are assuming levels of capability in the system mm. and you either are assuming levels that are low because you're risk averse and you're saying I'm going to dumb this down mm. right and you therefore are not creating any opportunity for it to grow mm. or you're assuming it too high and mm. you're creating mm. a premature load bearing problem mm. where you're going to guarantee failure mm. and but you have to do that because you have to identify the milestones yeah. and so your milestones imply some thoughts about what what capacity is there and so you know I think it's just sad because if you really build capability what's going to happen is that you are going to have an uneven performance on your milestones sometimes you're going to be below them and sometimes you're going to go in directions that you never thought mm -hmm. of and in the complexity literature we call it emergence mm. and I'm like why can't we just allow for it more mm. now the thing I'd say to the donors is it doesn't mean that you just go into a place and say let a thousand flowers bloom mm. PDIA is a process through which we facilitate emergence mm. where we engage every week we report every month mm. we have a rich reporting structure mm. significant accountability mm. at the beginning we don't promise a fixed result in terms of a product mm. we promise increases in the number of interactions mm. increases in the number of capabilities and mm. we can say exactly what they are increased information in the system mm. and learning mm. and then we say that there will be a surprising product coming out of that mm. now it's just a different version mm. of a log frame we call it the search frame where we say it's this is the framework through which you do your searching mm. and you know let there be some surprises you know wonderful well thank you so much Matt. I think for me the, the major takeaways of the book are one is a message for researchers do action research you yeah. know partner with governments use your skills in political economy analysis to work with people to help them identify their problems so that they can be building their capacities and I guess for the wider development community to recognize their capacities of governments yeah. not that they need that are advice but they need uh, the support in coordinating their problem solving uh, and, and, and on the last thing to say in every single government where you're working in there is so much latent capacity mm, there mm. and there are people who are already working in this way there are people who are already doing surprising mm. things and instead of coming in and 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 always always say we're going to do our thing mm. maybe spend some time looking for those people mm. because if you find those people you don't know what they what opportunities they might provide for you and even for your career if you find the guy in the mm. civil service who's doing the amazing mm. thing maybe that guy can help you develop a project that is much better than you could ever ever create without him so part of it is you need to understand who the people are you need to build trust with them you need to build relationships and you need to believe that they're there yeah that's so important yeah. thank you so much Matt thank you <laughs>